Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen. And today I want to break down a topic that uh, was kind of discussed a little bit earlier on the podcast with a guest, and I want to dive a little bit deeper. But it's about how to blend the ancient Ayurvedic text to the modern Ayurvedic kind of lifestyle or practices that we might have. So if you're brand new to Ayurveda, this is a great podcast to tune into because I want to break down um, a little bit of the history of Ayurveda and what actually is Ayurveda. And if you are familiar with it, this might be a, just a great refresher because I always find um, other people's definitions to be beneficial and helpful. So we're going to kind of dive into there first, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the practices that are common today that actually originated in Ayurveda that you might've heard as kind of the um, wellness I don't want to say the the biohacking, the biohackers uh, that are using them now. And then we're going to kind of dive into, well, how does that actually work in today's faster paced world? Because back then, 5,000 years ago, there was a lot that they didn't have that we do now. So how do we find that balance? So we're going to dive into all of that today. So we're going to first start with what is Ayurveda? It literally translates to the wisdom or science of life. And it was derived from the scan- Sanskrit words, Ayur, which means life, and Veda, which is science or wisdom of life. And it originated in India over 5,000 years ago, making it one of the oldest wellness systems in the world. So they kind of often compete with Chinese medicine. Who is older? Is it Ayurveda? Is it Chinese medicine? And as you've heard in some of my guest episodes that I've had about Chinese medicine, they're very similar. You know, they have a lot of the same similarity and backbone structures to it. So you really cannot also have yoga without Ayurveda. They really go hand in hand, um, which you're going to kind of see through the journey. You know, in yoga, we have poses that are recommended to either increase or decrease each of the doshas. And so that's why they really go hand in hand if you understand them. Not only that, but the poses like a forward bend is going to help put you into the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, It also is good for forward bends are good for digestion and the reproductive system. And then in terms of doshas, forward bends are going to reduce vata and pitta. They also pertain to a vayu. So they're good for apana or samana vayu. They're associated with the chakra. Um, We have gunas with them. I mean, all of this goes together hand in hand. And so that's where sometimes it's a disservice, I think, in yoga Um, trainings when we don't learn all of this in-depth wisdom. And I know for me, my first Ayurvedic um, 200 hour training, we didn't discuss a ton about Ayurveda. I thought I was going to get a lot. I got, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours, and that was it. And that's why I signed up to become an Ayurvedic wellness counselor, because I really wanted to go deep with Ayurveda. But then when I did my um, 500 hour training, I purposely sought out a program that really infused Ayurveda into the yoga teachings. And so that was much more heavily steeped in Ayurveda, which I found useful and I really enjoyed. And so that's just a total different caveat. But if you are taking yoga teacher training, know that they are all different. They, um, some have heavier information with, um, anatomy. Some have heavier information with the philosophy, and then some are more Western yoga practices that don't do a ton of digging into the um, rich history of yoga and Ayurveda, which I think is a total disservice um, when you have teachers who might not know some of the um, wisdom that comes with it or why certain things are practiced and why maybe you would want to do a forward bend versus a back bend, for example. So anywho, that's a little soapbox tangent. Let's get back onto the topic at hand. 
Um, so Ayurveda though, what I always say, it's a way to help you align to a deeper side of yourself and really find your true nature. You know, many current wellness trends actually originated in Ayurveda. And we're going to kind of dive deeper into those in a second. So the goal is really to get to the root cause of all wellness issues. So we're not treating kind of the surface saying, you know, Hey, my, um, you know, I'm having some constipation issues. Okay. You know, here's some medicine, quick, quick relief. I'm like, what are some medicine that you relief with constipation? Is it Tums? Maybe Tums. Um, you could take, you know, whatever they recommend. Okay. Y'all, can I also just say, as I'm recording this, my son has been in a total four month sleep regression. So I am lucky if I get two hours of sleep strung together a night at a time. So I am up about six to seven times a night. So bear with me when I am recording some of my solo podcasts this summer, because right now we are in a very deep sleep deprivation that I am feeling. And sometimes it is very hard for me to draw on the word that I am thinking of. So caveat again. We also might go on some tangents just because apparently my brain is taking us on tangents, which means my vata might need to be addressed is also what I'm seeing. Okay. Tuning back in. Um, so in Ayurveda, it is said what is going on outside is often occurring within the body. I talk about all, all the time with seasons, you know, if the season, if it's cold and dry outside, we have to be mindful of cold and dryness in our own bodies. Um, so again, that might be happening in the fall season and that early winter season. So one of the key elements in Ayurveda is like increases, like and opposites heal. And that's why seasonal practices are so key in Ayurveda. So let's dive even deeper. You know, let's go into a brief history on Ayurveda. So Ayurveda is believed to have been based upon the knowledge gained from the Vedas, which were spiritual texts from ancient India. So in case anyone's not familiar, um, that would be something that you might have addressed. If you take a yoga teacher training, you might've heard of the Vedas. Well, there are three major texts recognized by Ayurveda, and I might butcher the Sanskrit. I'm going to try my best. They are the Charik Samahita. This text highlights the dosha's origins with an emphasis on the Vata dosha, as well as becoming self-aware on your life's path. Then we have the Charuta Samhita text, which discuss Ayurvedic surgery, Shalaya. Um, that's the Ayurvedic translation or the Sanskrit trans translation. And that has an emphasis on the Pitta dosha and the Marma points in the body. And then finally, the Ashtanga Sangrafa and the Ashtanga Hridya by Vagbahata has an emphasis on the Kapha dosha and completes the picture on the modern day doshas and their five sub doshas. So these three books have been translated and updated, which is where the modern Ayurveda has evolved from today. So that's just a little history of like, where did it come from? It came from those texts and people have translated. Some of them are very hard to find um, translated into English. And um, I have found, I have, a, I own a couple different texts. And so I will read through those because I do find it fascinating. They do have the Sanskrit and then they have a translation and the translation is a translation from the author of these books. So with that, you might have many different interpretations, kind of like if you think about, um, biblical text, you know, you have different translations of the Bible. It depends on who, who wrote them, who addressed them, just like the books of the Bible, I suppose, you know, you have your Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All of them have seen the same thing, but have a different take on what occurred. 
that's kind of how I view the Ayurvedic take. The different authors might have a little different take on the same thing. So the bones and the meat of it are there, um, but it just maybe is told in a slightly different way. So that's the um, background on it. So many of these modern texts have been kept alive by practitioners who are passionate about keeping Ayurveda's roots alive. Dr. Vasant Ladd, he's a pioneer here in the West and a founder of the Ayurvedic Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He has written several books and runs multiple programs in the Ayurprana lineage. Um, I learned from the feminine form of Ayurveda, which is kind of a newer field, I guess, in Ayurveda that brings structures of Ayurveda into a more feminine lens. And that was my teacher, Katie Silcox, who brings in many um, female teachers into the program. And so we're looking at it from a lens of the woman and how are these translated? Because some of these texts, if you read them, um, are not great. They're pretty misogynistic in terms of the way that they are telling you to treat women, um, a couple of them. So just be aware of that as well. So just like, I suppose, if we want to pull back from that biblical roots or any of the, um, you know, religious texts, there's that underlying too, that some of those might have some of that practices that we don't necessarily, um, do in modern day. So there are definitely modern teachers that are helping keep the Ayurvedic roots alive while still making it practical and digestible in the modern world. I think flexibility is key. So one person's medicine is another's poison. I've said that many times, but with any area of Ayurveda, you try, you try it on, you see if it fits. And then knowing that, Hey, it might not work for me in my thirties, but maybe in my sixties, it's the practice for me. So that is something also to be mindful of any of these practices. Um, for me right now, being in this, you know, four month postpartum stage, I cannot keep up with all of these practices. Um, I am just clinging to <laughs> basic practices that make me feel alive. And so depending on what stage of life you're in, you might also be like, Hey, I don't have time for all of these practices. What are going to make me feel the best? And you have to kind of cherry pick. And then there's going to be other times in your life again, where you're in your, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties, where you might have more time and you can really dive into a deep meditation practice, you know, a deep abhinyanga practice and, um, a movement practice, getting out for walks at the right time, having the foods, cause you have the space and you have the wisdom, um, to really incorporate what's going to fuel you. So what are some of the practices that we might've heard of today that actually originated from Ayurveda and these texts? Oil pulling is one of them. Now, modern day, we use coconut oil, but actually in Ayurveda, they recommend sesame oil. So if you are doing oil pulling, I would make that switch. Sesame oil is a tridoshic, whereas coconut oil is not great for vata and kapha constitutions. And my teacher, Indu, has recommended not to do coconut oil for anyone, even of the pitta constitution, just because it is just too cooling to the body and um, also not great for your plumbing. If you do spit it out in your sink, you will clog up your sink. So make sure you are spitting that out somewhere else if you do use coconut oil. Um, so that is one practice that I would maybe make that switch to the sesame oil. Intermittent fasting or circadian fasting. So I've heard that term thrown around. And both seem to have slightly different rules um, in the biohacking field, depending on who your teacher is. But Ayurveda recommends a 12 to 16 hour fast daily, which again, it can be, I'm shutting the kitchen down at seven and I don't eat until seven or eight the next morning. And realistically, if you're doing a morning workout, you know, going into it fasted is recommended in Ayurveda. Um, again, depending on who, what fitness guru you're listening to, they're going to have different advice there. I always say what feels best to you 
For me, I love a fasted workout. I tend to feel best and fueled best going in fasted. Um, I have clients who aren't always feeling the best. Now, caveat, often the clients who don't feel the best, they have a lot of ama built up in their body or toxins, and they don't feel the best because they might drink the water. And if you've ever had this, and I have, that's why I know I can speak to this, is you drink water and all of a sudden you feel like your stomach is sour and you don't feel good. You haven't eaten anything. You just had a little sip of water in the morning. That is built up ama that you have overnight. That means something is not digested and most likely you need to have a bowel movement. And if you've dealt with constipation, you don't know when that movement's going to occur. So it could be, you know, an hour from now, it could be six hours from now. And so that is just a sign of ama occurring. And when I have people complain that they don't feel the greatest, if they are fasted, sometimes ama can be at play there. All right. Next one is minimal snacking to aid in digestion. So minimal snacking is now, again, depending on who you talk about in the, in the fitness and wellness industry, some are all for it. People who are really into gut health are starting to realize, yeah, if we're constantly fueling our body, we are not always digesting it. So if we're eating every two to three hours, you know, if you think about it, you're just kind of constantly feeding that furnace and it's not, it's not able to burn everything up properly. So we want to get through some of that food before we kind of keep throwing more food on top of it. So that is something that I personally like to practice. And I do find that helpful is when I, you know, start to remove some of the snacks. Now, again, I'm breastfeeding right now, so I do need to have some calories in there. And so I will add in those extra calories as needed um, to make sure my supply doesn't get too low. Another one, starting your day with movement. So this is also something that in the West, a lot of people practice. And sometimes I guess I used to tell clients, if this is the only time that you're going to get it in, or if you know, you're going to skip it after work, cause you're too tired. That's when I recommended it. Now I recommend it because it's the kapha time of day. When we get up, you know, between tick six and 10, it's, it's kapha. And so getting that sluggish kind of movement away, it's helpful. And it's more helpful, you know, long-term than maybe having to caffeinate yourself, you know, having that movement might be a better way to wake up. Uh, digestion begins with your eyes. And so really kind of looking at what you're eating and then having, you know, maybe that your mouth starts to water, um, looking around your environment. If it's really chaotic, if it's noisy, um, if there's a lot going on, if it's a new restaurant and, um, you don't, you just have so much going on, you're overstimulated, your digestion's not going to be working as well. And I hear this from many of my clients as we start to get older, Uh, myself, probably in the last few years, I've noticed this, my, you know, in my mid thirties, um, actually probably after I had, um, my, my first son, that's when I really started to notice is if it's really overstimulating at a restaurant, it's hard for me to, um, you know, feel good after eating because I might be looking around. I've already had the stimulation of my child, maybe, you know, pulling at me or having needs all day. And then I go out to a busy restaurant. It's just a lot. And I hear of this too. A lot of my clients, um, you know, in their sixties plus complain about loud restaurants. And that's the same thing is their, their hearing is just taking a hit where we might be starting to lose some of our hearing as we get older. And then we get that loud noises. It's just a lot on the body and it's overstimulating, which is not good for digestion. So really paying attention to, um, you know, what, what we're seeing and where we're eating at and how calm of an environment can we make it. Another one, breath work, which I think has gotten very common. So most of the people refer it to breath work. Ayurveda yoga refers to it as pranayama or pranayama. 
And that's really been helpful for centuries to calm the nervous system. It's one that I've been working on with my seven-year-old because he's having some trouble regulating himself when he loses at his sports camp this summer. And so I took him through a few breath practices to work on, and they weren't what the common breath practices that I've seen, because I've seen it now three times in different um, manners, I guess, during my pregnancy, this last pregnancy. And it's like a quick breath work where it's inhale through your nose sharply, quick, quick. So it's like, I don't know if you could hear that, but it's really aggravating to the Vata Dosha. And so um, not good. That would not be good if you're feeling stressed out and overwhelmed. And then you go into that breath work, try to calm down. It's not going to work. It's probably going to raise you up. It's going to make you feel more anxious. So anything with that quickening and in yoga, I also was taught in my restorative yoga teacher training, you know, holding your breath can be really uh, intense for a Vata dosha who's imbalanced. So if any of us have that imbalance holding the breath, it might not feel good to the Vata. So calming the breath, inhale for four, exhale for eight, you know, just slow it down. And so for my son, an easy one for a little kiddo is just blowing out the birthday candle, breathe in through your nose and just go nice and slow out through the mouth, like you're blowing out a candle. And so that was when he was going to practice. We just had this discussion yesterday. So as I'm recording this, I can't tell you an update to see if it worked for him. But that was one that we did as well as just closing your eyes. And I told him just to, you know, I had seen this online to stand tall, like a, a sunflower and just close your eyes and breathe in and out through your nose. If you need to count to four to breathe in four to breathe out, just envision your sunflower and you're growing up to the sun, you know, just little ways like that for kids to kind of calm down not fast pace. Um, like I'm seeing a lot in the breathwork classes. So if that is also aggravating you, maybe you come down to the more calming effect of some of these, um, slower practices. Another one, Abhinyanga to move the lymph system. So moving the lymph in general is something that's now being talked about. So massage that self massage and it's helping the body not get stuck and stagnant. Um, some of the, the foam rolling practices are now being questioned of, are they actually helpful or is it sending our body into fight or flight? And so this is kind of new information. And what I'm seeing from some of my peers of a lot of them are just saying, mm, kind of skip the foam rolling. And so for me, Abhinyanga is a perfect way to kind of get into that lymph system in a more gentle way. It's your own hands. It's using the amount of pressure that feels good to your body. You're not going to overdo things. You can also do it onto the breast. So doing a breast massage which I've recorded a podcast episode on this. Um, If you want to go to my blog and just kind of search breast massage, you'll find all of the information on how to do one. But all of that to reduce stuck lymph in the body, super helpful. And then kind of the last one that I briefly touched on with that restaurant example is the five senses really playing a vital role in keeping the body cool, calm, and collected. So if our body is overwhelmed through one or multiple senses, you know, we might start to feel burnt out, overwhelmed. And in Ayurveda, it says it's one of the limbs of disease that we can get because um, the five senses really play such a vital role in our lives. And just as I had discussed with, you know, with the restaurant being busy, it's not only your eyes, it's your ears. Um, It's your, it could be texture depending on what kind of, you know, seat you're sitting on and what's going on there. 
So really pay attention to how your surroundings are affecting your five senses, getting out in nature. All of those are ways to kind of fight that overstimulation. Stepping away from the phones and the screens are also huge to help kind of come back to yourself versus um, having that outside input coming into the body constantly. So those are just a few of the practices. There's many more that I could have um, talked about, but those, I just wanted to kind of have a, a start there. So you can kind of get an example of some of the stuff that I work on with one-on-one clients. You know, these are basic practices. What's going to work best for you to calm down your nervous system. And I give you kind of tips and tools and help hold you accountable. Cause I love a lot of people who are like, yes, if you tell me what to do and I have to report to you, that's more helpful than me just doing it on my own. Now, if you're a Pitta, but you are a a driven Pitta to do all of these, um, you might be someone who's self-motivated and just wants, Hey, you just tell me what to do. I'll make sure I do it. But again, there's people like that. That is myself, (laughs) but we're few and far between. And I get that. Um, so that is where, um, that comes into play. You know, I have Pitta clients in both regards who just tell me what to do. And then other Pittas who are like, this is an area that I do need you to hold me accountable because it's not my favorite. So how does this work? How does this translate into our fast paced world of today? So needless to say, 5,000 years ago, a long time ago, you know, we have modern refrigeration to store food now. We didn't have electricity back then or indoor plumbing. We didn't know about horrible events that are happening every five minutes. You know, now our phones, if we're just kind of scrolling on Instagram, just as a end of the day thing, which a lot of us do, myself included, but then all of a sudden you're hit with like, oh my gosh, the celebrity that maybe you really loved passed away or, oh, there's a horrific event that just occurred halfway around the world that we wouldn't have known about maybe until the next day, you know, when we have our set time to look at the news or just to kind of tune into life rather than we're trying to unwind for the night. And so we're just kind of constantly hit with that dopamine hit, you know, whether it's good or bad, it can really throw us off. So paying attention to the, how that works um, in your body today, that's one of the main differences is we need to have practices that really encourage vata dosha to calm down, to help decrease that, uh, the nervous system and just kind of the wear and tear that we have. You know, if you're a householder taking care of your family, and if you're going to do all those text recommendations, it's going to be overwhelming, you know? I'm here to say there's a middle ground. I personally believe you don't have to practice everything religiously as it's written. You know, I think there is wiggle room to adapt and to take what works and leave the rest. So personally, I keep the big rocks of Ayurveda in my life and what those big rocks are, are different seasonally, are different where I'm at in my life. They're different right now with a four-month-old and a seven-year-old than they were um, just six months ago you know, when I was pregnant with a seven-year-old, I don't, I don't have as much time right now, which I knew, but then now having the less time and having the less sleep, I've had to adapt again, what really is crucial for me at this moment. And so, you know, again, as I had said, Abhinyanga is crucial. My meditation practice is crucial. Moving my body in some way and going for walks. That's about it. Those are my main practices that I'm um, working on doing. Now I've already had my menstrual cycle already came back. It comes back early, just as a blessing of mine, I guess. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, how can I make sure I'm having minimal pain there and doing the practices that Ayurveda recommends to me, Um, which is also my new book is going to be all about that. Um, And I'll stay, I'll talk more about that at the end of today's episode, but 
the practices in there are stuff that I'm practicing now to make sure those things are happening. Now, I think the fun and playfulness of Ayurveda is when you start to become intuitive with what you need versus that dogmatic approach. Um, if you want that second cup of coffee, for example, it's going to bring more heat into your body. It's going to increase your vata and pitta dosha. So how can I combat that? Well, I'm not going to maybe add tomatoes and mushrooms into my eggs because it's going to increase that pitta dosha. Uh, there's just different ways that you can kind of approach it. You might say, Hey, it's really hot out today. I'm not going to take my walk, um, during that hot noon sun. I'm going to wait until it's a little bit cooler in the evening or earlier in the morning. So those are ways to combat some of that. If I'm going to have that coffee, I'm going to make sure I get that meditation practice in. So it grounds the vata. I'm going to have less screen time. All of those um, are realistic ways to incorporate it. Now on the flip side, and I've seen this, some practitioners are very strict on what they recommend and how you follow Ayurveda. But what I found is it's not realistic. It's not fun. And most people are going to fail at it. Because most people that I work with aren't here to live a strict Ayurvedic lifestyle. Um, you know, even practitioners, we want to just know, okay, I'm having this issue. How can I fix it? How can I make sure? Let's just throw in PMS. I'm having PMS every month. It sucks. How can I fix this? Now it's fixed. Great. I got to the root cause. What are ways that I can make sure I keep the PMS obey so it doesn't keep coming back in a year or in a few months? You know, those are the ways that I incorporate Ayurveda. It's not, hey, I need to follow everything, the morning routine, which again, Angela and I had said in a podcast, it would take like two hours. And that's just not realistic to most people today. That's not going to happen. We're not going to get up at 4.30, most of us, and do these practices. The same thing with the food. Some of the food can be really overwhelming. You know, there are certain food pairings that aren't recommended. But again, as I've said, it really depends on what you can digest and what your digestion looks like, how you grew up, what pairings work best for you. So if it starts to be, feel like a drag and it's just, you're really resenting doing the practices, you're not gonna do them. You're not gonna be living anything Ayurvedically. So I do think there is wisdom in, you know, kind of cherry picking what's gonna work for you for just your average person, you know, unless you truly wanna make sure you're living to the text and by, you know, by the letter and by the book, go ahead. It's probably going to be really hard if you have a family, if you have young kids, um, even if you have older kids and you're traveling to sporting events, these things are going to get a little tricky to incorporate um, by the book. Is it possible? For sure. Um, is it going to be difficult? Probably. And are you going to be causing yourself more stress by trying to do all the things, you know, exactly as printed? I would say, is Ayurveda working for you then? If you're more stressed out by trying to do everything by the book, that's not true Ayurveda. That's causing you more harm than good. So really a great time to ask yourself, um, you know, is living with the season, seasons and just pausing and saying, is this still working for me? X, Y, Z practice in your life. Um, so for me, the Abhinyanga, I had removed it for a little bit. Was that still working for me? The answer was, yes, I needed it. I loved it. That was something I craved. Right now at night, I'm craving warmed milk with shatavari and some ghee and dates. It's a vitality drink, which I need some ojas right now because of my lack of sleep. That's something that's working for me. Is it going to be working for me um, six months from now, 
eight months from now, a year from now, who knows? I will evaluate seasonally. But right now with the lack of sleep, it's working for me. So that's how I want you to kind of think about some of the practices that might be in your life. Is this working for me? Um, do I need to pause and evaluate? Uh, how is this, how is this building AMA in my body? Am I building more toxins or am I building up more OGIS? All right. So this was kind of my, my, um, practice today, but I do want to end with you, you know, in, in the end, Ayurveda, it's all about getting to know yourself on a deeper level. Uh, so life becomes more intuitive and it flows with purpose versus checking off the latest biohacking box because everyone else is doing it. You know, just like I did the episode on cold plunges, everyone was doing cold plunges. Is it right for you? Maybe, but maybe not, you know, really tuning in. Does this work for me? So as I had talked about just a few minutes ago about my new book, I am so excited. I pre-orders are starting today, uh, July 18th, if you are listening to this as this goes live. So pre-orders are starting today um, and they you're going to get free shipping if you pre-order within this first month. And um, it is the Ayurvedic approach to um, the menstrual cycle and to really healing the menstrual cycle. So my first book had a lot of practices in it. This book is going to dive deeper into what is actually going on with the menstrual cycle, according to Ayurveda, as well as according to, you know, Western medicine, what are these four, what are these four phases? What does estrogen dominance look like in the body? How can I treat that according to Ayurveda? What does a Vata, Pitta or Kapha menstrual cycle look like? How can I incorporate practices that are going to help me reduce Vata, Pitta or Kapha, depending on what you need? Um, How can I introduce a red tent ceremony with my daughter, with my niece, with my grandchild. I have practices um, in there that can help get you started. What if I'm going into perimenopause? That is also covered in the book. Um, so those are all things that this book is really juicy. I'm very excited about releasing this one and I am going to do some bundles. So if you haven't purchased my first one and you want more practices, I am going to do some bundles where you can order both books at a discount as well. Um, because these two books together are really they're the things that I do. They're the things that I recommend to clients and having both of these at your fingertips, I think are a great way for you to incorporate these practices. So if you are curious, if you are ready to pre-order the newest book, um, you can head to my website and it's just going to be on the same page as my previous book. It's just andreaclausen.com forward slash book. And you'll see both books there and decide which one might be right for you or um, purchasing both. So Uh, get on that list. I plan to ship out and mail the book September 17th, but a pre-order is great for myself because I am going to be just shipping out from my house like I did the last time um, versus Amazon. And I can discuss, I guess in the future, I'll do an episode on that and the second book writing this because that was one of my most uh, downloaded episodes of just people understanding, wanting to know how did you self-publish? What does that look like? And now doing it a second time, I have learned some more things. Um, and had some more different hiccups that I'll share in a different episode. Um, so I'm going to be sending that out again, September 17th. So I have this month of pre-order. So I know about how many books to pre-order. I will also be doing a launch party, hopefully in September or October here locally at Green Lotus, the studio that I teach yoga at in Apple Valley, Minnesota. I'm also going to be presenting at the River Valley Fest. It's a yoga festival in Stillwater, Minnesota in September. And so I will be doing some Ayurvedic talks there as well as doing a author talk. So I will have my book there to be released in person as well at the Green Lotus Apple Valley location. I'll have copies there if you um, want to meet in person. 
Okay. So that is all I have on that. Maybe I'll, re- I'll release a separate episode, just all about the book. Um, so you can have some more behind the scenes and just more insight into that um, in a couple of weeks, I think. All right. That is all. Thank you again so much and go out there and spread your peaceful power.